to the Sheffield's Hidden Gems podcast. Sheffield is a city in South Yorkshire, United Kingdom. This podcast features conversational interviews with owners or managers of a unique selection of businesses, charities, and other enterprises in Sheffield. This podcast is brought to you by Excel City Apartments, a brand founded in Sheffield that provides business travelers and leisure visitors with fully furnished, safe, and comfortable self-catering accommodation when they're in Sheffield or visiting the nearby Peak District National Park. And now, let's meet today's guest. Hello, and welcome to the Sheffield's Hidden Gems podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Veronica Brooms, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Rachel Briggs. And Rachel is the co-founder CEO, co-director, co-founder of United Weekline. Welcome to the podcast, Rachel. Hello, Veronica, and it's great to be here. Thanks very much for having me as a guest. My pleasure. So what I'd love to hear from you, and I'm certain our listeners would like to hear, Rachel, is a little bit about you, as well as United Weekline. What's your role there? And I mentioned that, well, yes, you have been part of the funding, but do tell us a little bit about Rachel Briggs and United Weekline, please. Absolutely, my pleasure. Um, so yeah, I'm Rachel Briggs. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I have been Sheffield-based, bringing up my family here and living here with my husband for nearly 15 years now. Came here after university. Um, and I've been a, a climber, a passionate climber for um, over 20 years. And a big part of moving to Sheffield was actually for the climbing um, and to be close to the beautiful Peak District National Park. And um, yeah, I've been passionate about sharing the many benefits of climbing that I've gained Um with others through my work as a climbing coach. I've done a lot of coaching um, women and children. Also, I set up a business um, called Rock Tots, which I started here in Sheffield and now has expanded to other cities, which is about um, teaching tiny little ones, literally tiny, from age one to six, um, all about climbing, and teaching their family as well. It's very much a sort of family activity that um, parents or grandparents sometimes bring their little ones um, or carers to learn about climbing in a really fun, uh, supportive way. Um, and also, as through my role as um, yeah, as co-director of uh, United We Climb, which is um, a company which I founded, I kind of had the idea for it nearly three years ago, but did a lot of research um, and um, building up kind of a knowledge base, first of all, uh, before it actually turned into um, United We Climb. And um, yeah, United We Climb is a community-focused BJI company, and the BJI is for belonging, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. And um, we're striving to put equity at the heart of climbing. We are led by a diverse team of intersectional 
climbers um, who've all overcome barriers within climbing and are passionate about empowering others to do the same. Myself, I've, um, I've experienced some of the benefits I've experienced from climbing. Obviously, you've got the physical side of things, which is it's a great, a great workout, physical workout. Um, good for balance, coordination, flexibility, so many great physical benefits. But for me, I think more the um, mental and emotional well-being that um, climbing has brought to my life. I, as a young child, I suffered um, abuse, sexual abuse as a young child. And climbing has helped me to process that, to overcome it, to not let it rule my life and ruin my life. Um, and, um, and the mental health side of things as well that has come from that. And climbing has been an, a brilliant tool in supporting my recovery and living with um, my experiences. And I'm a big advocate for sharing that. And so is our team. Our, we've got a team of um, a lot of power climbers within our, within our team, people who live with chronic illness um, and um, also women from LGBTQIA plus community, trans women and Muslim women and um, we've got yeah, a very diverse team and all of us are really passionate about climbing itself and sharing climbing with others and helping others break down those barriers that we have also experienced and some you know barriers there's plenty of barriers we haven't experienced but we want to um, make climbing more equitable and see more people uh, being able to access those um, benefits that we have. So, yeah, we're, we're led by this team. It, um, United We Climb didn't really form properly. It didn't really start properly until we had this team. It was always really important that it's not one voice leading this, um, trying to speak for lots of different communities. We've got, um, we've nearly 10 of us within the team now. Some of us are kind of more in the core team, kind of, you know, running the business as it were and um, more involved at various different times. Um, but yeah, it's really important that it's not just one voice leading this. And um, yeah, we are addressing inequalities within climbing through different projects. We're creating systemic changes within industry by by creating training and resources and working with industry to empower them to make changes. We are creating our own projects, um, all sort of equ creating equitable opportunities and experiences for communities to um, access climbing and break down barriers for certain groups, specifically those who have traditionally faced the most barriers within within climbing. Um, so communities like um, LGBTQIA+, um, we have um, 
we have climbing sessions which are specifically for yeah women including inclusive of of course trans women and non-binary and gender non-conforming um sessions for um folks from the lgbtqia community we have sessions specifically addressing barriers that women of color my experience so for those sessions we have um we're really lucky to have the whole of the climbing center all to ourselves so it's a women women only um session but also a women only environment which really helps to break down the, potentially some of those psychological barriers of kind of not only you know women might be in potentially intimidated by this sort of by this sport, not knowing what sort of what they're going to need to do physically, but also kind of who else is going to be in that environment. And for those, we would have um, we have you know instructors of colour running the sessions, or if it's a LGBTQIA session, we're lucky to have um, instructors from that community as well. Um, so yeah, so. We're putting all these things in place to hopefully help break down those barriers for certain specific groups. It's quite instructive what you've and insightful what you've shared with us so far and what you've been able to do in terms of within a relatively short period of time. Well, just less than two years in terms of when you first got your team together what you've been able to do in terms of reaching a wider cross-section of people. And as you pointed out, some of those groups that you've reached include people who are usually considered or parts of the vulnerable and excluded communities. But I was intrigued when you were talking, because there's this focus on community, to ask if you can say a little more about the reason why you opted for a community interest company in terms of the legal structure as against a charity or a limited company or anything else. And the other point I'd love to hear from you is the name that you've chosen for this community interest company, United We Climb. Can you just expand on that, please? Of course, absolutely. Well, the reason behind choosing a CIC um, over a charity is partly financial. Um, yeah, the costs of setting up as a charity, quite a bit more than as a CIC, and also the time and resources. Um, given my experience of setting up Rock Tots, um, which uh, was relatively straightforward to set up, um, I've got that experience, but I haven't got experience of setting up a charity. So, so in terms of resources and time, um, yeah, setting up as a CIC definitely seemed to be financially easier and simpler. But it's definitely something we would like to be a charity eventually. We are, we are a non-profit, so um, so all our profits that we do make go back into community, much like a charity does. Um, but we haven't at the moment got the time and resources to be able to set up as a charity. It's definitely a goal of ours. Okay, interesting. And the name, please? And yeah, with United We Climb, um, definitely wanting to 
to bring together communities that potentially have been traditionally quite excluded for what di- lots of different reasons from climbing. And we really want to change that. Um, we want to bring um, more communities who um, don't necessarily access climbing easily. And um, yeah, and so yeah, our team is a very, very, we've got a very diverse team and kind of together, coming together, that team was able to really steer United with Climbing. And it wasn't really until that team came together, United, um, that it it flourished into what it is today um, and was then able to move forward into becoming a, a CIC and doing all these amazing projects. So, so yeah, it was definitely uniting that team and uniting those communities. Okay, now I can see the importance of uniting and communities in what you do, Rachel. So you've explained that you've had some outreach. So in addition to the team, you have people that are visiting or are involved in climbing, physical activities. And I'd be interested in hearing, and I think our listeners would be also, to find out who are the main users of your service. And is it a subscription service? Is it a membership service? Is it funded by other sources? How how can... How are people involved? Yes, because I'm trying to understand who are the main users and in what what ways is your organization helping these users and their families possibly? Mm, absolutely. Um, so the users um, really are the communities that we are we are trying to support and empower um, through climbing. And like you said, their families, because um, some of the sessions that we run are specifically aimed kind of, for instance, the um, women of colour session. We also have climbing sessions. We also have some family sessions. Um, So women who might have childcare um, issues or barriers uh, are able to still access climbing and find out about climbing um, by bringing their families. So, um, yeah, so the different communities and the different groups um, that are able to access our sessions are, do stem from the communities around, at the moment, the walls that we are able to work from, the climbing walls and the environment. So, for instance, some of our team are up here in Sheffield. And we're working with um, amazing organization, the Healy Trust. I don't know whether you've heard or charity, Healy Trust. Yeah, so I've we're working, it, yeah. yeah, we're working with these community partners um, and finding out what the needs, well, not finding out, working with the community to see what their needs are, how, how we can best um, create experiences that benefit them based on their needs and so yeah we have these community partners and then we also have the industry partners so my connection in in climbing in particularly in Sheffield at the different climbing walls we're lucky we've got six different no seven even different climbing walls here in Sheffield and I've got strong links with those and so are some of our team and so we're we're able to 
put on these sessions by working with the industry within the area and our community partners and coming together to bring something, um, to develop something with both of them that would meet the needs of our community. Um, and often the communities that we're reaching, our community partners, are not already being served by the industry locally. Then there's, you know, um, so, so, we don't, for instance, have um, any sessions at the moment for uh, cis, straight, white men because they are really well served in climbing in Sheffield, for sure. Um, and um, so we're working with those who aren't as well served uh, by the industry and helping the industry um, to to um, reach new communities and the communities to um, working with them to meet, help meet their needs and develop a develop experiences and opportunities that they they want to have, um, and exposing them and giving them access to those. So, um, so yeah, and also another. So the communities are definitely who we're aimed at but we also serve industry as well um or that's our that's our goal so working with industries to help um well climbing industry particularly um to help them create change empower them to create change and meet better better meet the needs of the wider their wider community um and yeah, establish what those needs are and better meet those needs. So, so it's kind of community and industry. Indeed, yeah, that's helpful because I wanted to. Uh, well, I had a question about stakeholders, and from what I understand, you're saying so far, it's the team, the individuals from those diverse and less accessible communities in terms of climbing. So those those are obvious stakeholders, and then the owners or managers or the people who represent the climbing walls, which I it seemed to be in those spaces. But who are the other stakeholders? Oh, sorry, you mentioned Healy Trust, but who are some of the other stakeholder groups that are important for the work of United We Climb? Yeah. Um, well, we have other community partners that we work with, for instance. There's a community group down in London called Climber, and they are predominantly um, predominantly black, Asian, ethnic minority community of climbers. Um, and we're working with them to create outdoor climbing experiences. Now, a lot of that community um, in, in London, they access climbing very well, brilliantly themselves indoors, um, going bouldering indoors. So bouldering is a type of climbing without having ropes. It's kind of shorter, but more intense. Um, and they've already really well established, got lots of great things happening down in London, but accessing outdoor climbing, um, there's quite a lot of barriers to them accessing outdoor climbing. So we, together, we work together to create these courses, outdoor climbing courses. Um, and so that's another example of our um, 
community partners. Also, there's uh, Power Climbing London. So, working with, again, another um, climbing group down in London who are um, power climbers. So, um, they, yeah, so there's, we, we will be hopefully creating again, some events, um, maybe some outdoor climbing events with them. And then another important um, element, stakeholder, as it were, we're working, we're just starting to work with um, other members from the industry, the climbing industry, outside of just the climbing, or not just the climbing walls, outside of the climbing walls, um, brands. So, um we're really fortunate to be having amazing discussions with some really big brands in climbing and um, envisage that we will be partnering some of these brands to support. Um, they would really like to support some of our um, the projects that we're working on, including the training that we're working on. So, so they're another important, um, that's another important element of who we're working with. Oh, excellent. Yes. Well, thanks very much for that. It, it provides a wider perspective now. And I've heard you speaking about projects and training and courses. And I think it would be useful if you, I can ask this question in a way that would allow you to share some memorable moments or significant achievements. So can you tell us in, I'd, I'd say plain English, so not any technical language, exactly what it is that is involved with climbing? Because you mentioned different, well, indoor, outdoor is straightforward and obvious, but different types of climbing and walls and rocks or boulders. Can you just give us an insight into the world of climbing, please, Rachel? Absolutely. Um, my pleasure. So, um, climbing indoors and out um, is obviously quite physical, a physical activity. But as I mentioned with our tiny little ones, one-year-olds, even ch some children who can't yet walk can access climbing, can climb um, before they're even walking. Both my two children started climbing before they could even walk. They were crawling up the walls. It was amazing. So actually, it's not as, um, I think there's some stereotypes or kind of assumptions that climbing is this sport that only very strong people can do or very flexible people can do or just able-bodied people can do um, or or just young people can do when actually it's incredibly accessible and um, and I really noticed some of the psychological breaking down some of those psychological barriers that um, parents coming and grandparents and carers coming to rock tots were like, oh, right, actually, this is something, if my one-year-old can try, this is something maybe I could try as well. And um, so, so actually, it's actually can be very accessible. And one of the most sort of treasured moments that I would say I've had in the um, within United Recline was getting feedback from 
um, one of our climbers that that was um, came to one of our sessions, she was nearly seven, 70 years old and had never tried climbing before. And she said to me she was really, really scared. Um, but at the end of it, that she had never felt so strong and never felt so confident confident after doing something um and um yeah and thanked us for the support that we'd given her um mm-hmm. and so actually kind of climbing can be really accessible um but we have a lot of preconceptions that we kind of need to kind of break down often so can i just ask you then rachel to build on that with that ex- treasured feedback as you describe it there's an adult who's never done climbing, but has listened to your message here or your conversation here and thinks, you know, maybe this is something I can try. So that person shows up at a climbing center and they see a wall. They're not seeing rocks. It's not the outdoors. How can they move from arriving at that door to actually being on the wall or climbing up the wall literally yeah. Sometime later. Can you just give us a brief insight into what are some of those steps? So it's more about the practical, physical aspect of the climbing, please. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So most climbing walls will have some kind of induction that they do, a safety briefing really mm-hmm. to kind of mm-hmm. give you, give you, explain the sort of rules and how best to keep you safe. Um, So when you would arrive, certainly when you come to our session, um, climbing sessions, we would give a safety briefing. So make sure everybody kind of knows. And then, yeah, and then we introduce the actual physicalities of it with our instructors. They demonstrate good places to access to start off with. Um, and also do some warming up exercises so we get our bodies physically prepared for having a climb so to prevent injury um, and um, or help prevent injury and and get up get ready for climbing and then our sub our in 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 our our instructors then support the climber to fight the participant to find a good place to start for them. And now some some people might be quite, for instance, when I first started climbing, quite afraid of heights. And that's really normal. You don't and lots of people climb who are afraid of heights, including me. And um, so they might show the participant a really good place to have a go at climbing without having to go up high. So traversing, which is sideways climbing. You can do as much sideways climbing, do lots of fun stuff, um, move your body brilliantly without even going, you know, a meter off the floor. <laughs> so, so actually finding the right environment for that participant to try it themselves. And then with the right support in place, our instructors might give them tips and hints and make it accessible at their level. Mm-hmm. So that's like step four, they could start climbing. It's not climbing vertically or high, but it's cl- climbing in terms of what you describe as sideways climbing. Yeah. And then how would they move? So assuming I call this a step five, how do they get to that step where they then are ready to start climbing a wall? Yeah. Okay. So we would warm into it, build up gradually, also learning 
down climbing. So in the sort of climbing that we're doing most of at the moment, which is bouldering, which means that we don't have ropes and harnesses on, we climb up and we climb down again and there's there's special matting on the floor. Um, and the mat- matting um, is fairly soft and so um so it's if you for instance have a little slip or fall then the mats are there to support us um but we do promote trying to climb down at you know whenever we can rather than jumping down um yeah so bouldering means that we're free of all the equipment and going really really high and if we want to take it up to um going climbing up instead of sideways, which we don't have to, we can stick to going sideways, but if we want to, our instructors would support that climber going up as far as that felt comfortable and then climbing down again and build up gradually. And over the course of the session, we might have you know, a majority of the participants going right up to the top of the wall and then climbing down again. But having had the instruction, the coaches instructing them at their level and finding a good place for them to access climbing. And then once they've been to the sessions, our sessions, then often they're able to go and access it themselves then. They don't have to have another safety briefing or anything like that. Um, And we'd love for people to then go off independently and being able to climb. But our sessions definitely have quite a bit of support to help people to find the right level, the right types of climbs, because there's lots of different types of climbs up the wall um, and we can support them in finding what's right for them. Excellent. Thank you ever so much for that graphic description, because I think whilst it's useful to hear about the organization, if you're thinking, yeah, well, this is an organization called United We Climb, how does it actually work in in practice? So thank you ever so much for that, Rachel. Now, we're recording this in early November 2021 and should be available for listening later this month. Now, as we head into the winter months and shorter days, will there be any change in terms of how your sessions are done? Because I know you have explained that most of it is climbing walls indoors, but you are also looking at some outdoor activities. Would there be a change in terms of how you do the work and the lessons and training? Very good question, Veronica. Yes. um, Now, we do indoor and outdoor and and our outdoor courses um, tend to, we'll have less of them over the winter and we'll always have an indoor backup plan because you can't climb on wet rock. Um, it's not good for the rock, it's not good for your climbing, more likely to slip and things like that. So we have a backup plan. plan. Um but in the summer, we get to do more climbing outdoors, which is which is brilliant. I mean, there's lots of benefits of climbing outdoors, the connection to nature um, being a massive one. Um, but indoor climbing is more reliable because of it staying dry. So, um, but also indoors can get quite cold as well, especially with COVID and the ventilation. So it's really worth bringing, if you're coming to a climbing session, bring in lots of layers so you've got like you can take one layer off at a time and often I'll come in a jacket hat um leg warmers as well as lots of jumpers and stuff and kind of by the end of it I've you know 
down into my t-shirt and my, my tracksuit bottoms um, and climbing because I've nicely warmed up. But um, but often it can be quite cold to begin with. So we kind of let people know that's the case. Bring lots of layers. Um, and um, But it, you do get warm once you've started climbing. It's, you know, physical sport and um, so... So, yeah, so that's how that changes. Our training side of things, not so much. Our training, um, we, yeah, is kind of able to be indoor. We could go to climbing walls to do that. So, Splendid. Now, because your organization started just around the pandemic, there is a practical question in terms of before and after. But what I would ask, if this was were a situation where you started without any pandemic, what would you have done differently, if anything? Ah, so it is a, yeah, that's a really good question as well, because um, there is changes. We, um, our instructors are doing sort of lateral flow tests now before their sessions, uh, wearing masks. And so, uh, so the COVID sort of making the, the sessions COVID secure as, as, as you can and and obviously being respectful you know if people want to kind of keep their keep their distance and we can instruct from you know a distance away um a lot of the outdoor stuff is uh pretty pretty similar really now um but to begin with when we came back um we were all wearing masks and stuff like that but outdoors is not quite i think um, as we've gone through the pandemic, we've kind of realised actually outdoors is relatively safe to be outdoors. So, so yeah, um, so yeah, we would be adhering to kind of government guidelines, really, and um, yeah. Okay, well, thanks for that because it means were it not for the pandemic, you wouldn't have had to deal with masks and having to think about distance. So that bit would have been different. And in terms of uh, say future I know you've touched on the fact that Sheffield we're on the border or be part of the Peak District National Park and therefore it's brilliant for the outdoor climbing as well as the fact that there are seven climbing walls in Sheffield it means that there are facilities for indoor climbing but what are some of the plans in the pipeline for United We Climb over the next few months and years are you able to share any of those with us Rachel? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're really excited that um, because of one of our industry partners um, and we've been able to um, take one of our stages of our training to, um, to the next level. So we've done a lot of research as a team and started planning um, some training, but Hopefully, over this next year, we um, will be creating a pilot for some of our workshops, um, which will, once we've got a pilot, we will be able to um, get our feedback from from those pilots and then hopefully access um, some bigger grants and some bigger funding to get our training um, online, which obviously would mean we'd be able to reach much further than the sort of physical climbing walls that we can get to. Um, and so that's exciting for us to be moving forward with um, that element of our training. 
um, and get being able to broaden our reach within the industry. Um, hopefully, we're going to be ha- able to take our climbing courses potentially abroad as well to um, potentially over to France. Fingers crossed. Um, and yeah, and more and more sessions. Um, at the moment, our sessions are Sheffield based, uh, most of them, but we're just starting some in London. Quite a lot of our team are down in London, so. Um, so there's going to be an Asian social climbing group starting um, with one of our team um, down in London and, yes, some other potential um, sessions st- starting down in London. Um, so, yeah, having more sessions, reaching more communities, uh, working with more communities and reaching more of the industry as well. So hopefully expanding. <laughs> Brilliant. Rachel, thank you ever so much. It's been a pleasure speaking with you over the past 35 minutes or so. And it's remarkable not only having a better understanding of what your organization does, but also to share some of the experiences you've had so far and the plans for the future. So for people listening to this podcast and would like to get in touch with you or to find out more about United We Climb, what are the best ways of doing that? Please. Ah, yeah. So we're on the on Facebook and Instagram under United We Climb. We also, our website, unitedweclimb.com um, and email info at unitedweclimb.com, um, all of those. Our um, our sessions are also kind of being advertised through the Healy in Sheffield anyway, through um, Healy Trust and the climbing walls themselves. So um, so yeah, that's probably best um, best bet. But I will send you um, those links as well. So hopefully you can put some links up. Will do. Thank you ever so much, Rachel. And once the links are there, when we publish, we will include those. So it's been a pleasure having you, another hidden gem in Sheffield, on this episode of the Sheffield's Hidden Gem, Hidden Gems podcast. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you so much, Veronica. Thank you for listening to the Sheffield's Hidden Gems podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Excel City Apartments, a brand founded in Sheffield that provides fully furnished self-catering accommodation for business and leisure visitors to the city and the nearby Peak District National Park. We also accommodate families relocating to Sheffield City region. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please do listen to other episodes by following our podcast on this platform. Or you can find us on Twitter at XL Property P, that's the letter P. And on LinkedIn, the business page is XL City Apartments. Until the next time, ta-ra.